0: Welcome to the Upland Nation Podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. Thanks for joining me. Hope you're having a good summer. Yeah, I think it's even officially summer for what it's worth. Um, Hot here. We'll talk about that, among other things, but got a great show in store for you. Our guest today, Tom Dockin. If you don't know Tom, you know his products, the Dockin Dead Fowl Trainer and some other dog training equipment. Tom is also a well-known public speaker. He writes for some of the magazines, and I like to consider him a friend. We share a table at a lot of stores when we're doing public appearances together. So he'll have something to offer us, particularly in the way of uh, using your Labradors, your retrieving breeds for upland birds. So stick around, that's gonna be very educational and helpful to a lot of us. I'll also ask you all what's in your hunting vest that we may not have thought of, and that's uh, because we are just about ready to start, you know, acquiring stuff for the upcoming season, and now is when you can plan ahead, make those orders, and Cross your fingers, hope they arrive in time. And we'll also take a road trip, sort of. I'm going to talk to you about some of the experiences I've had recently that just kind of reinforce some of the kind of the cardinal rules that I follow that may be of use to you. So stick around for the road trip as well. It's all made possible by Sage and Breaker, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, True Lock Choke Tubes, MidwayUSA.com, Enjoy dog food and, of course, my website, findbirdhuntingspots.com. Well, with that warm weather comes a, a little bit of a kind of a crimp in the training world, in that we got to work our dogs a little bit earlier during the day if we're going to do any serious conditioning. And uh, out here on the high desert, it's, it's an issue. Yeah, the crack of dawn is not my favorite uh, d- time of day, but I'm, I'm working at it. I gulp down one cup of coffee before I take Flick out. and uh, That kind of gets me through at least the physical part of the workout. You too? Yeah, maybe so. Uh, or if you're lucky enough and you got the right setup, you can, uh, you can work in the evening as well. I don't like to run Flick with a full belly after dinner, so uh, we're doing it first thing in the morning. We're also um, still working on that woe command in the field at a distance. One more insurance policy for us should anything untoward uh, take place, whether it's a cliff, a speeding truck, or a very attractive mule deer. You, I asked the question, and boy, am I glad I did. Uh, I'm going to add a few more things to my vest as a result. Yeah, why not? It's already 20 pounds, but that ain't the record. In fact, I'll talk to you about that in just a moment. So I said, I carry, and, a, and a, thank you, Terry Wilson at Ugly Dog Hunting Company. Um, he said, nope, side cutters, you know, uh, uh, wire cutters, if you will. They're not going to do it if you want to get your dog out of a snare trap. Buy the real deal cable cutters, aircraft cable cutters. So I went and invested in those, and, and why not? I mean he's your hunting companion Uh, think how crappy your day or your year or your life would be without him get some cable cutters but uh, among other things Kyle Broadfoot says uh, a GPS he went with one called Zoleo I've never heard of that one Kyle but I'm glad you did you don't have to admit it but you are no spring chicken anymore and Having the ability to call for help is reassuring. Absolutely. I joke about it this way. Um, You know, I got enough stuff in my vest to to last me a couple days as long as I'm not unconscious. And by then, uh, I can summon the helicopter if I need to. Well, Greg Shea, thanks for the reminder. I have some. I just stocked up on those little restaurant honey packets. Great for a dog or a human that has low blood sugar and it happens yeah not as often as we think it's usually something else but low blood sugar could be a you know a a real kibosh to the day um let's see oh greg shea also boy that's a boy scout trick dryer lint and vaseline in a baggie yeah that's the best fire starter around if you uh aren't doing it go ahead and do it it's free (laughs) and it works Definitely. David DeSmither, blood clotting band-aids for friends on blood thinners. Yeah, or for a dog. I've always got some of those. They're big kind of gauze pads. Uh, Ken Matye, is that how I say that? Matye? Benadryl for dogs and people? Absolutely. A dog gets snake bit or um, stung by a bee. It'll keep the swelling down in the throat, which is critical. Greg Sanders, let's see, on his list, among other things. Uh, camelback, potted meat, all will be shared with the dog. Yeah, plus a compass and a Mylar blanket and a suture kit. Absolutely. Um, let's see. Uh, staple gun from Gary Forrest. Uh, yeah, gashes and cuts for dogs and me. Pliers are a hemostat. Several people, thank you, Arcady. And also... Um, rc phillips on that suggestion always a good one i always carry something yeah brian lee Wynn. (laughs) cigars a cigar cutter and a lighter hey whatever floats your boat i agree jack gable says all of the above plus a robust sling with back straps for me to haul out you know who yeah He says his vest must weigh 30 pounds, and and the buttes he climbs just keep getting steeper. I feel your pain, Jack. Thanks a lot. George Cummins, yeah, Uh, hydrogen peroxide. If your dog eats something you don't think he should have eaten, uh, that's the way to get it right back up. Kurt Deary, eyewash, yes. Um, And Peter Wax says, not glasses that block my peripheral vision. Hey, if I don't have those, then I've uh, run out of shooting excuses. But um, hey, if it works for you, good job. Thank you all. Great suggestions. It's all on the Facebook pages. So um, go to Wing Shooting USA or to Upland Nation on Facebook and get even more details about some of the things you ought to add to that big pile that you're at least mentally uh, compiling right now. Yeah, we're brought to you in part by PointerShotguns.com. Yeah, great new website. All the shotguns there have a seven-year warranty, including the new side-by-sides, the case coloring, the nickel, and the bluing, and the Cerakote colors, all seven-year warranties. Shop around, whether it's a side-by-side, an over-and-under, or even a semi-automatic in PointerShotguns.com. Find a nearby retailer. Pick the model you like, and while you're there, watch a couple of my videos. It's all at PointerShotguns.com. Enjoy dog food. Been around for 75 years, family-owned and operated. They know of what they speak, uh, dedicated to the hound community, and now making inroads with us here in the upland bird hunting world as well. 100% American-made ingredients and uh, fixed formulas for consistency. Shop your local feed store for Joy dog food. Yeah, put some joy in your dog's life. Go to joydogfood.com. Well, it's been a long while. I you know, you're like ships in the night we pass at pheasant fest and at the shot show and things, but Here's our chance to get caught up again. Tom Dockin, welcome back to the Upland Nation podcast. Hey,
1: Scott. Good to be back again, and always fun chatting.
0: It is. I, I sure appreciate your taking the time to talk with us. I, as I uh, mentioned you earlier in the podcast, if, if you don't know Tom, you know his product. So let's start with that. Give me a little backstory on on what you're doing these days and how you arrived at such a clever retrieving bumper, among other things
1: well you know our our first product out was uh you know the dock and deadfall trainer and basically it's a it's a bird-shaped training dummy and it has a a hard head a soft body and hard legs and you know as the story goes uh you know we we have a program at the kennel where five-month-old puppies come in we introduce them to birds we break them to the gun And, um, you know, uh, if it's a retriever or a dog that's going to be working in the water, we, you know, get them retrieving in the water. Well, one day I kind of walk up and, you know, one of our trainers is there and got some young dogs that he's working in the water. And the whole idea is we we have, uh, you know, shackled ducks. And for people who don't know what that is, it's, you know, it's a live duck that is shackled and has uh, uh, just a restraint on it. And a short little toss is out in the water and just encourage them to come back in because a lot of these puppies are just, you know, kind of learning to swim. Well, I get there and I notice that, um, boy, I mean, some of these ducks didn't make it. And I watched a little bit and it was pretty evident that, you know, most of those younger dogs, they'd go up to the duck and they'd grab it by the head or neck and drag it in. Well, I mean, that's that's not a very easy place to, um, you know, keep a duck alive. And uh, it it was like, well, hmm, you don't want to discipline a puppy, you know, for bringing a bird back. Uh, So it was like, well, how can we get them to pick something up in the middle, you know, instead of grabbing it by the head? So uh, I knew back then, this is quite a while ago, 20 plus years ago, that if you had a a bunch of rubber dummies, uh, there were probably about three or four companies out that made rubber dummies. Uh, One of the brands was really, really hard. And if you had a stack of them out there and you were sending a dog to go pick them up, it was always the last one that they'd get. Oh, I'll be darned. And, yeah. And it became <laughs> obvious that the, you know, pretty, you know, pretty obvious that they wanted something soft in their mouth, not hard. So, um, I, I fashioned a, a foam body and, uh, actually it started off with a wooden head cause it was hard and I took some lawn edging and made some legs <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, started throwing it to see if the concept would work and uh dog after dog after dog after dog would kind of go to the head and go "Ah, that doesn't feel good maybe go back by the legs that doesn't feel right and grab it by the body and so it was just more of something that we wanted an object that where we could have the dog teach itself you know where to pick something up and um, and then we made the head loose. so if the dog came out of the water and gave it a shake, which they will, or if they were going to get rough on it and and would shake something, and everybody's seen a, maybe a dog pick something up and give it a shake, but that head would come over the top and give them a slap on the snout. And uh, and so the dog learned pick it up in the center, and you have to carry it properly and not mouth it. So that's how that product came about. And then all the other products we've come up with, you know, you know, consequently, from there on out is has always been what do we use in training, whether it's leashes, check cords, uh, any of the other peripheral equipment? It's stuff that we use and developed uh, you know because you know if you're using it on a daily basis, you're always trying to tweak it and get it to work a little bit better. So that's kind of the short version or the long version.
0: yeah, and if you want more details on that, you tom you you actually do have a, a separate website just for that stuff, right?
1: Yeah, that'd be Doc and Dog Supply, and that, you know, that's a whole whole separate company, and, and uh, you know, the the dummies go anywhere from, you know, small puppy dummies. We introduced a, a, a puppy dummy that, for puppies, anywhere from seven weeks up to about 12 weeks, small, same concept, mm-hmm. all the way up to Canadian geese, and then all the different species, too. So we pretty much have something for anybody in whatever breed.
0: Well, there you go, and and I I'm I'm just impressed, and and like I said, uh, th- there's always something innovative going on. I remember it's been a couple of years ago, and on your website I did see there's still um, there's still a page for the drone. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Talk to well. me. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know I'd fought
1: with that that problem forever. Uh, you know, as a, as a duck dog, you want those dogs and you see it in a seasoned dog, especially that you'll be sitting in the blind and they're, they're scanning the sky. They're actually looking up. They're not looking straight out in front of them low. They're looking and there they're going to get a good mark on what's coming in. And it was just something we could not replicate in training. You could have somebody across the pond, you know, throw for you or you could use a, a launcher dummy launcher gun, which is a good tool, but uh, you could never get them tracking something yeah. in the sky. Yeah. And ideally for a young dog, their first duck hunt would be, you know, a bird that comes in, hovers just right in front of you, you know, and just gives <laughs> up and, and it makes a nice retreat, but that's not always how it happens. So we were doing uh, a video series with uh, Gun gundog magazine down in Iowa and had a lot of different breeds, pointing breeds, spaniels. And I had a retriever with me. That was my part. And they were using a drone for some of the footage and the dog that I had with me, he could not take his eyes off that drone. And that's where the light bulb came on. I go, all right, let's see here. How do we incorporate this? And so uh, a good friend of mine, Lee shows, uh, he had a drone at the time and if anybody's done pointing dog work or, you know, any kind of dog work for, you know, upland work, uh, the bird releasers have electronics on them that, you know, you press a button on the transmitter and it, it activates the releaser. Well, I took that mechanism, got it on the drone, <laughs> kind of jury rigged a little, you know, uh, thing that would release whatever it was in there. Uh, we <laughs> Duct tape and baling twine, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And duct taped it onto the drone, flew it up in the air, and uh, and released it. And that's that's how that whole thing started. And and it it just created that training tool where we could set up many different scenarios, uh, not only for waterfall hunting, but uh, also we use it for trailing. Now we'll run a a line down off of it uh, with a rag, a scented rag, and I can fly it out and drag that rag. And then uh, when it gets to the end of of where I want the retrieve to be, I just drop the dummy there and then fly the drone back up. And then you don't have your own footprints and everything on it. So it, you know, everything that we do is just kind of based on, you know what, if we could just have something, you know, that would fulfill this need,
0: that's, that's kind of where all of it goes. I love it. And, And, and I'll tell you, I could use a drone and I'm going to figure out how to put one together to to solve the very same problem you started with. And that is, I got a wire hair who will not pay attention to a bird that falls any farther than I can throw it from where he is. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. you've been through this a million times. Yeah. This, this is something we're still working on and we probably always will be. So I'm doing my best to find ways to put that bumper way out there, but have him see it as it flies that's the challenge
1: right and that's that's kind of the that's kind of the whole concept there too and the nice part is once they know that that drone is going to drop something that they can get you could actually get them to the point where you fly the drone out let it hover yeah without even dropping something send the dog and he's going to run to the drone yeah and as he gets close you can drop it um i'm not so sure that there isn't something here for pointing dogs uh, where and we can do live birds. Sure. We have a live bird, uh, that we, uh, box that we can put on it where we can get, if you're going to work on steady to wing and shot, where we can have it placed, the drone gets up and, and you can just have it slowly go away or hover it mm-hmm. and then just work on that and only release the bird down out of it when you're ready. So, ah. You know, I'm getting off on a tangent, but when when there's so many different things that that you can use technology for, I mean, you know, I'm all on board.
0: Yeah, you know, it it is so funny. I talked earlier in the podcast about some of the stuff we carry in our vest, and uh, I was surprised uh, amongst all the Facebook comments, only one person mentioned a uh, uh, personal locator beacon. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't leave home without one. Uh, another bit of technology, and and we all use GPS collars, and yeah, this is just one more tool in the toolbox, isn't it? Right. Yeah. You know, and I tell people
1: nowadays when we're doing seminars, you know, there, there's so much good technology out there, dog training wise. Take advantage of it. I mean, it's it's it just makes life so much easier. You know, not just training, but when you're out hunting as well. So. Uh, and and to that point I always say that there really is no reason to have a hunting dog nowadays especially an upland dog that you don't have in control under control because we have the technology to do that
0: yeah and in uh, considering the price of the dog the price of the hunt uh, you're crazy not to invest
1: oh absolutely hundred percent
0: well you know this didn't all just happen you you you're a dog trainer first and foremost Um mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about your training facility, and then we're going to go right into training dogs. Sure. You know, our facility
1: is Northfield, Minnesota. You know, I've been in the business for about 50 years now. seems like it was just 49 years ago, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and we designed our programs and something I found out from training way back in the day was, you know, you'd get a phone call and a lot of these dogs were a year old, year and a half before you'd get them. And he always thought, boy, if we could just get them, you know, get them in when they're young, we could just make this different. So many, many, many years ago we started what it's a two week bird and gun introduction program. So when they're five months old, we bring them in, we introduce them to birds and break them to the gun because at that age, they're willing to try anything and the success rate just goes through the roof. So uh, that's our first program. And, and, you know, we train all breeds, you know, retrievers, pointers, spaniels, uh, obedience dogs. we, you know, we're in the dog training business. So we, you know, pretty much do it all. Um, and, uh, you know, our facility over there pretty much has everything we need, all of the ponds that, you know, you could use the upland stuff. So, uh, and it's a, uh, it's, it's one of those occupations where, you know, it's 24 seven, you know that cause you've talked oh. to enough dog trainers, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's passionate. And then we're fortunate the people that, you know, work for us and with us share that same passion.
0: Well, tell me a little bit about um, uh, what you've learned running a dog training facility, um, kind of the practical logistical stuff that, that maybe we can benefit from whether it's feeding schedules or cleaning. a can- You know, I don't know what it is, but you guys have learned all this stuff the hard way. Well, right. Yeah. And you know, people maybe don't
1: think about that. I mean, you know, at home, you maybe have one or two dogs. So, You know, you don't have a a big feeding routine or, you know, where you're feeding lots of dogs or taking care of them. But, you know, our facilities are all set up, you know, being that we're in the Midwest, we have six months of winter. So we have indoor facilities, uh, you know, so cleaning, you know, keeping a really good clean environment so you can disinfect and keep things clean uh, is important. Our kennels are all set up. So they're very easy to clean, very easy to take care of, very efficient for feeding. Uh, and, and that's, that's the one thing more than anything else. It's not just training them, but you got to keep them healthy throughout the whole, you know, throughout the whole time that you have them. Uh, because if you don't have a healthy dog, you're not going to be able to, you know, do the job that you need to do. And, uh, it's, it's staying on schedule too. Mm-hmm. You know, we like to feed at a particular yeah. time every day. Our day starts early in the morning. The only thing that maybe changes a little bit is when we hit the. The hottest parts of the year uh start extremely early you know nothing to be at 4 a.m in the morning you know and train till noon uh especially if it's going to be on land uh and then uh, do some water work in the afternoon if we have water dogs but you have to adapt you know to those surroundings and then um you know once again it's uh it's it's a 24-hour day commitment you don't shut the lights off on friday and come back on monday morning
0: Oh yeah, yeah, and that's true. Whether you have one or uh, 21, mm-hmm. twenty-one, you're listening. Yeah. To, you're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. That's Tom Dockin. Tom, uh, just for the record, if they want to learn, if somebody wants to learn more about your training operation, what's the website address? Sure, you can go to Dockins
1: Ridge Kettles. Uh, you can pretty much find that you know anywhere. Yeah. Google it. Uh, Facebook, uh, you know, every, <laughs> we all have all of these different avenues nowadays to be able to be reached. But uh, yeah. And, you know, I think the key there, you know, anybody who's looking for information is, is, you know, give a call, get a conversation going. And a lot of times what we'll do is if somebody has a dog that maybe isn't just beginning, but maybe, you know, it's a little bit older and they're wondering what they can do. a lot of times we'll say, well, come on down, let's just take a look, sit down, have a conversation. Cause you're, You know, yes, you're buying dog training, but you're, you know, you're buying that dog trainers, you know, expertise and uh, the relationship with our customers is extremely important. Not only, you know, for them to gain trust in what we do, but uh, also for us to be working with them when, when it's time for us to show them, you know, how to control their dog as well.
0: Well, well let's jump in and start talking about that sort of thing you you mm-hmm. talk- you talked at pheasant fest about um basically about using um uh, uh retrieving breeds or uh, flushing breeds I'll generalize it um in the uplands and mm-hmm. uh, and you know a lot of people who are listening own flushing breeds um first off I understand the the value and I joke about it but it's almost true i think uh if I lived in South Dakota, I would probably own nothing but Labradors. Uh, I think it's a perfect pheasant dog, but you have your own rationale and and, and I'd love to hear what it is.
1: Well, right. You know, I, I think it's just, it's kind of matching, you know, your hunting conditions. Like, you know, if you said, if you were in South Dakota, matching your hunting conditions to what breed you're going to have. Not that, there's only one breed that can do this you know that uh but your, your flushing breeds basically their job you know we're talking labs right now but you know we're talking springer spaniels uh, cockers any of the flushing breeds uh, their job is to stay close enough to the gun when they get sent their job is to go in you know put the bird in the air and then make the retrieve and then also you have you know the, the you know the the pointing labs too that's kind of a phenomenon that's not new now, but it's been around for a while. And uh pointing labs, I tell people, isn't new. And and you know, even though the advent of people breeding for them, a lot of a lot of those retrievers pointed way back in the day as well. Oh yeah. More by conditioned response. And and I people say, well, how's that? And I say, well if you know if you were hunting wild birds with a young dog to begin with and you can't shoot hens. And the dog goes in, you know, tries to, you know, he smells something, goes in, it's a hen. It's not shot. Goes in, it's a hen. It's a hen. It's a hen. So now they're figuring out there's no reward in the flush. So all of a sudden, the next bird, they come on, it's a rooster. You know, they don't charge in on it. They kind of hesitate because they're trying to figure out how to catch it. Bird gets up and it gets shot. Boom, light bulb comes on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is brilliant. The, <laughs> so it, it's a conditioned response. And I tell people when I'm doing seminars too, that, you know, uh, coyotes point, you know, Fox point, you know, all of those predators point, but what it is is they locate, smell, stop, hesitate, creep, stop. And when they get to the, you know, where they feel their best chance is for a pounce, that's what they do. And it's just a conditioned response.
0: Um, would you find that, that there are differences between, uh, say, training a, a, a Labrador and a, and a Springer Spaniel, a fundamental difference there?
1: Well, I think that the
0: main thing there is,
1: is, is, is basically developing bird drive more than anything else, you know, and that starts at a young age on, on really all of them, that drive to want to get the bird. Because the drive to want to possess the bird, you know, creates the flush, And then, you know, the finish of that is the retrieve once it's down. So uh, I would say it's, it's as similar as you're going to get. The only difference there would be is if when you get into waterfall situations, you know, what breed is going to be best suited to maybe go pheasant hunt in the afternoon, but the next morning you're going to go out and waterfall hunt. Not to say that, you know, your springers and your your English cockers can't do that. uh, But, you know, it's probably not as big of their forte, you know, as it might be. And not to say pointing dogs can't do this pheasant thing because they can, they absolutely can. Uh, We hunt a lot of cattail sloughs late season and, and keeping track of where your dog is at, you know, back in the day was a big thing you know, many, many years ago, you know, your pointers wore a bell. Well, when they came on point in a cattail slew, you'd spend half a day trying to figure out where they
0: were. I'll never figure uh, that one out, by the way. I and mean, I've asked a bunch <laughs> of people, What you know, so the idea is when you can't hear the bell, you go look for your dog. <laughs> <laughs> right, right.
1: Well, yeah. And, and so now but, but things have changed. You know, then beeper collars changed that and you could put those on a point uh, mode only if you wanted, or you could go from, you know, a uh, random, you know, random beep to a point mode. So then you could hunt that high cover. You go, Oh, he's pointing GPS. Now, mm-hmm. you know, you go like, well, he stopped. You can see it. You look at your handheld and go, Oh, there he is. He's let's see, he's 50 yards away and he stopped and he's on point. So, you know, once again, technology has let us, you know, take some of these breeds in some of the cover that normally would have been harder to hunt. And you can do it.
0: Let's talk about uh, flushing breeds in particular and the uplands. Mm-hmm. What What are some of the, the things that, that we may not have thought about that you need to train a flushing breed to do in the uplands? Oh,
1: I think control is probably the biggest thing. If you have uh, a dog that, yeah. that has drive desire, it's control. Because here here's my idea on, on, on flushing breeds as far as getting birds in the back. If that bird, if that bird gets up at 20 yards and you know, just figure by the time you, and it's, it's a straightaway. And by the time you make a reaction, let's, I'm, I'm going to say it's 10 yards, but mm-hmm. let's say it's 15 yards. Okay. Now it's a 35 yard shot. It's out right? of my range. So, well, yeah, it's not in the high percentage. So, um, and that's a straightaway, not that every bird's going to be a straightaway, so the big thing is trying to, you know, maintain, you know, that, that control at a distance where you actually are going to be able to get a shot off. Uh, you know, and that back in the day, that was a big issue. You know, the before remote collars came around, you know, I I always say when I'm doing a seminar back when I started, most dog trainers weighed about 75 pounds because you, all you had all day long, you were chasing, chasing them, trying to catch them. And, uh, Nowadays, uh, you know, your remote collar is just like using a long check cord without the inconvenience of the check cord. And then, you know, I condition my dogs to, you know, these remotes now have either vibrate or Mm -hmm. tone. Yeah. And so I, I use tone, you could use vibrate. So my dogs know that if I do, you know, two taps on the tone, it means turn and quarter. Mm -hmm. Um, if it's, uh, if I just keep the tone down, the whole time it means come all the way back in so now I can hunt quiet so I'm not having to communicate verbally or with a whistle and then I always say I'm going to shoot more birds than the next guy because I'm going to hunt quiet because I'm not going to let those birds know that we are in the area we're coming and it's just true if you can the quieter you can hunt the better and I always say you know a coyote won't go down a field barking going here I am I'm going to try to get you so I love that.
0: You're Uh, right. I'm going to write it down. (laughs) Let's, let's talk about that control thing again, because, because whether it's a pointing breed, some people want their pointer pointing breeds to work a little closer, Mm -hmm. um, but definitely with, with flushing breeds. Um, How do you initiate that whole training scenario? What's the first thing you do to get a dog to stay closer?
1: Well, it just really revolves around having a recall, yeah. you know, and then that, okay. that's either going to be whatever command you're going to use here, come, whatever that might be. So that's established early on mm-hmm. in their basic obedience and, you know, and it's all taught with a, a short leash, then a check cord, then it's reinforced with the remote. And, it and so that's the whole idea. As far as quartering is concerned, it's just a modification of, you're out a little ways. I want you to turn, and and you're going to turn and come towards me. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to come all the way to me. And then and then you know just work out in front of me. Turn, and and so that that's operated with a check cord to begin with. Just going, hey, you know, move my way. If you get over to this next side, move my way. And then we just start reinforcing those things in the yard yeah. uh, with the remote. And then, and it just, it really becomes your invisible leash more than anything else when you're using the remote. Uh, and, and you don't have days where it's miserable because your dog won't listen. And, you know, once in a while, a good day where they do, you don't have those big spikes of ups and downs. You, you know, you can go through and you can have a hunt at the end of the day. You know, it, it's not stressful for, you know, for the handler and for the dog, and more so than anything else you've seen this enough when you get two or three dogs in a field you can get a little competition going Mm -hmm. that's normally when the wheels come off well there's no real reason for those wheels to come off anymore because um you know you have as much control at 600 yards which we wouldn't do with a retriever you know on a flushing as you do at six yards so uh it it just makes everything much more enjoyable
0: yeah, in fact, I wish it was enjoyable right about it. This is the worst time of year for me. I don't know about you, because you're dealing with so many dogs anyway, but uh, we're already counting the days to, um, let's see, where are we going first? Sharp tails in Montana. Well, so. Yeah, you know, I, I had a
1: conversation with somebody on the radio last week, and I said hunting season's right around the corner, yeah, yeah. which, you know, if you've got a young dog, you know, and you're and you're looking what how long is it gonna take to get to where, you know, we're pretty functional? Well, ninety days. Well look where ninety days puts you right now. Yeah. yeah. I mean so we're almost right up against it from a training standpoint.
0: No doubt about it. We'll talk about that, too, uh, after the break. Uh, You're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. Tom Dockin is on the other end of the line. He'll be back with us in just a moment. We'll also hit a road trip, um, kind of practicing what I preach and and why it worked, and maybe you can learn from that as well. We're brought to you by Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School. They've got every Browning you can imagine, and then a few others, and if they don't have it, They can get it. They've got a straight line connection to the folks at the factory, especially the sub gauges. If you're looking for something in the sub gauge browning world, go to midvalleyclays.com, peruse their current inventory, call Dave Fiedler, see if he can get you one that's not in inventory at the moment. Midvalleyclays.com. And don't forget, they got the new ZZ Bird range open. Some people call it Helice, I call it ZZ Bird. What a fun game to play! And clean all your guns with SageandBreaker.com. They got gun cleaning and care products of all sorts, plus all the things that I'll lump into the transport category, from the range bag that's new and uh, the uh, the shotgun uh, cases that are heirloom quality. It's all great stuff from SageandBreaker.com. Sign up for the mailing lists. You will not miss the future sales and new products. Before everybody else finds out about them, you'll get first crack at sageandbreaker.com. And with that, let me welcome back my friend Tom Dockin. Gosh, before Pheasant Fest, I think the last time I saw you was at a Cabela store, in mitchell south dakota on an opening weekend remember those well that was kind of our
1: normal yearly meeting spot (laughs) and then maybe the shot show and and uh you know i love pheasant fest and i know you do too and that's always you know that's one of my favorite events to go to and and that's something that's actually going to be in sioux falls south dakota this year so in the pheasant capital of the world you know, we're going to, we'll be there, and I'm sure you'll be there, too.
0: I've already got my, uh, my whole plan laid out, and I'm looking forward to it. They really treat you well in South Dakota, and Sioux Falls is really glad to have have that event. And it's it such a natural fit, isn't it?
1: Well, it's you know, people are so, the neat thing about that is when people come, they're happy. You know, they're not just kind of walking around, just kind of filling space. You know, they're excited because it's dogs, it's pheasants, it's guns. It's it's everything that, that we kind of live for. So it's kind of like kids in a candy store, which really makes the environment nice.
0: Absolutely. I tell people, you know, imagine 25,000 guys just like me. most of them want to turn around and run the other way but not me i got my tickets booked already Um, so um so before we get deeper into the training thing um Mm -hmm. uh tell me about a great hunt you had last fall oh boy you know
1: sometimes it's not as much about you know this about the number of birds in the bag but it's about when you have a a new young prospect um, that you take out and, you know, you've done all the training during the summer and, and sure you put them through all their paces and you have put birds out and you flushed and shot birds. But when you get out and and you say it's how about the first wild bird flush and shot and retrieve. And you, those are the, those are the things I think from a dog trainer standpoint that you look at and you see all the work that went into it. And then now it's game day because game day is different than training. But when those things all come together, uh, it's still brand new, you know, after 50 years, uh, I'll, i I get as excited about that. And those young dogs, you know, we, we see them, you know, kind of blossom the older dogs, you know, we see them make maybe that, you know, 300 yard retriever, that big long trail and stuff. They all have their, their moments, but I think it's more about, you know, what happens on a particular retrieve or a flush or a trail, you know, that's highlight for me versus, you know, numbers of birds.
0: You know, it's funny because I ask a lot of people, um, what what do you enjoy most about hunting? And after you've done it for a few years, what you enjoy most is helping other people succeed at hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've just described the canine version of that.
1: Yeah, I, it, it's a big thing. And, and you know, think about, think about what drives you to go. I mean, that, that dog is there in that time of year, and you look at him and you know that, we should be going out hunting. We (laughs) should be doing this. And we've had customers who maybe, you know, over the years, they've had several dogs trained, and, you know, they kind of go, you know, we're thinking of traveling more now, and we're maybe not going to get another dog. Give it about a year. (laughs) Give it a Uh, year, and they're back in it. And the thing is, you know, you're a dog person. And that hunt isn't the same, and it really isn't the same – If you, you know, like, you know, this because you've gone on trips and if you're not hunting over your dog or you're just kind of walking in a group, yeah, you're just kind of tagging along, you know what I mean? And, and you don't feel like you're really in the game. So, uh, you know, it's, it's special. Uh, they bring so much to the plate, not just during hunting, but you know, the rest of the year too.
0: No, I agree. I can't argue that. I had to finish the chucker season this year in Nevada with somebody else's dog. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, it was better than not going, but just barely. <laughs> well, and the dog, that
1: that's what, that's what brings the community together. You know, yeah. as, yeah. as far as, you, you know, and you, you can brag on your own dog, but Please, people out there, don't ever talk about anybody else's dog in a derogatory way. You know, you're going to be in big trouble if you do it. So
0: oh, absolutely. You, you
1: want to hold your hold your breath. But we love them to death. They bring us nothing but joy. And the fact that we can be out in the field with them at probably the best time of year, you know, there's nothing like it. Well,
0: let's, uh, let's get down to brass tacks. If, yeah. uh, if, you, if you were just to, to rattle off. Mm-hmm. Some of the dumb things we do when it comes to training or hunting with our dogs that affects their performance. Uh, let's let's go with the dumb stuff first, and then we're going to go to the the stuff we should always do. But first, well, I, those big mistakes. Yeah, I think that
1: the biggest thing is is you know how how we handle you know these dogs on a daily basis. It doesn't even have to be out in the field. It doesn't have to be, you know, when you're out training you know now nowadays i would say probably 96% of the dogs we train are family dogs as well it's 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 we if we're letting a habit go just an obedience control habit go day after day after day when we're around them you, you can't expect now when you get out and start doing your hunting or start getting out training Why would you expect them to think any differently of of what your expectations are when you get out there? So you really, you know, and I say this now more than anything else is that you really got to watch what you're doing with them all the time, just due to the fact that you are setting a precedence on how everything else is going to go by what you let slide. And it's easy to let stuff slide, especially if they're around you 24 hours a day. So, I think that that's the biggest thing not to do. And then another thing is I I would say going too fast, you know, for somebody who's training is, is going through these things too fast. You know, I've got a book in front of me and, and uh, I'm on chapter seven and uh, you know, I, I did all of this within about five days. Well, no, you didn't, you know, so it's take your time. These things, if you want something that's going to be solid Take your time, do little steps, baby steps, teach every task in a small step, and then everything's going to happen over a period of time. You can't have it tomorrow. <laughs> you know,
0: guess. one of the things that uh, uh, that keeps coming back to me, and I learned this from a wolf behaviorist, mm-hmm. um, it, takes, it takes weeks and weeks to create a habit, and that's really what you're doing, isn't it? 100%.
1: You know, and they say that you know about athletes or or anybody else who's trying to get into a good habit or get out of a bad habit. And the whole idea there is that is if you have a a big series of bad habits, those bad habits, I always say, are like they're like weeds. You know you can be cutting them off and trying to put new ones in, but don't don't kid yourself. that that weed wants to grow back constantly. So, you know, you know, having to maintain and keep that down while you're building something different. So that's the whole idea. We tell people that seven weeks when you get that puppy, you know, normally that's the age. It starts immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Because I I can hand somebody a puppy and I say, there's no bad habits. Here you go. (laughs) Yeah. There's no
0: bad habits. So you can either have good ones or bad ones. You know, the corollary to all of that, and, and like you said, yeah, if you don't want to let your dog slide, <clears throat> don't ask him to do the things that he's going to slide at. Um, it's, um, uh, who said it? I think it was uh, Delmar Smith said, never give a dog a chance to fail. Well, th- they need to be successful.
1: Yeah. I mean, they do. I mean, you you know, you wouldn't take a young kid who's just gonna be in T ball and have somebody throwing hundred mile an hour fastballs past him. Nope. And he strikes out every time and you go, How do you like baseball? <laughs> well, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, getting into something else. I mean it it it's common sense, but you know, when we stop and, and think back on it, you know, building confidence is is part of it and then repetition on the things that you want are, are another facet. But uh, it it really plays into it, you know. One of the curses of being a dog trainer, even when you're out hunting, is you're watching and you're watching your dogs work or dogs work, is that it's almost a curse because we see problems before they even come up. Yeah. <laughs> you, oh, you, yeah. You, you see one little thing and go, oh, I know where that's going. You know, yeah. that's that's going yeah. to gonna go to that level and then to the next level. So somebody might go, that was. That was just awesome. You know, I, I can't believe how good that was. And I go, yeah, you know, but, but your eyes tell you, you are, you're always looking for the little things that are going to lead to something you need to take care of.
0: Well, you pros and you and, and, and you know the other guys I'm probably talking about, you can do that. You can just stand back and read those dogs. Uh, that's why you're, you're doing what you're doing. And we're coming to you for help because we can't figure that stuff out. And by the way, that T-ball reference, that's getting really close to home. I'm the only guy I know who struck out looking. <laughs> that's good. I'll have to use that one. <laughs> okay, there you go. So so we talked about some of the things uh, we, we should be careful about. What about some of the things we could do more of when we're training our dog, whether it's Training while we're hunting, reinforcing, I'll call it, or in the yard or wherever, wherever else we do our training. What are some things we should work on a little bit more? I think give, once
1: you hit a certain stage where you go, you know what, we're working pretty good right now as a team. Now I'm talking training is give your dog a, a good variety of, of different areas and different scenarios that you're going to work in. Mm-hmm. You know, so you go, well, I've got a, a one acre field in the backyard. Well, that, that's good because we're working good there. Now you need to take and you need to get moved around. You need to yeah, get to different yeah. areas and let them experience the new things because every time you go hunting, it's going to be new. Yeah, things are the same, but, you know, the, the area that you're doing it, the facilities, uh, cover, Whatever it might be, other people that are involved, it's going to be new. And then if you think you're going to be training or, or hunting, I should say, with with other people, try to get that done before the season starts, too. Yeah, hey, let's, yeah. let's go do some training because <laughs> – Everything changes when the environment changes.
0: Yeah, and the people thing is is, is 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 critical. You know, when we're testing in the NAVDA system, there's, you know, two or three judges, maybe two gunners, and then sometimes a gallery, and they're all trailing along behind your dog. And if he's never dealt with that before, there the odds are good he's going to go up and say hello to somebody in the gallery. Yeah, I mean,
1: it it, it happens. You know, and the whole idea, I think, most, most people is, you know, from a professional standpoint, when we do something, we're expecting it not to happen. You know, we always, we, we might be giving a command, but we're always thinking about the dog isn't going to do it. So, so we're thinking, what are we going to do ahead of time? And the big thing there is not getting caught flat footed when a problem comes up. Yeah. Here's the situation. I just asked for this. What am I going to do when it doesn't happen? What are my options that the dog actually understands that I've actually worked on?
0: Yeah. Can you now, can you wh- give me an example of that? Because I'm a big believer in that. I, I always hope for the best and plan for the worst. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, it, it
1: goes, let's just say, if, even if it's basic obedience, let's just say you're walking your dog on a lead and, and you know, I'm going down the road, you know, I'm a heel and, and let's stop and sit. Well, so every one of those commands has the opportunity for the dog not to perform, whether it's sitting, uh, you know, healing, you know, dog trying to pull, uh, sitting and staying. The dog's not going to sit and stay. The dog's not going to come when called. Uh, There's so much of problems that just don't have to happen. If these basic fundamentals are taken care of ahead of time because you've gone through them enough. You know, your dog's tendencies and that's with no distractions. Yeah. So now uh, I see distractions before, you know, the dog does and, and I'm ready. And I think as a, as a handler gets better and better and better at things, you see situations coming up where you know that here are the pitfalls. Here's what can happen. And, you know, you're going to be ready for them. And to be honest and, and fair with people, you know what, if I need my, my vehicle worked on, I take it to somebody who works on a vehicle. If I could lift up the hood and go, what the heck is this? So don't don't feel bad that you don't know everything about it. Uh, but the more you're out there with them, the more you'll know your dog.
0: You know, I, I can't agree more, and I'm just going to say it. I, I wish people would pay more attention to their dog, whether he's just laying around watching TV with you or out in the field hunting. You can anticipate a lot of that stuff, and like you said, prepare for it in one way or another. Even if it's just knowing it might happen, that's better than most people. Right. You know, when, when people come to get their dog, if they left their dog for training with you, at some point they show up, or maybe they've showed up once or twice in between. When they show up, what are you working on with them?
1: Right. Well, the whole idea there is, is that you, you have to work with the, the owners. You, you just do, because if somebody sends their dog off for training, and they just, you know, come and pick the dog up and take it home, and even if you say he knows these commands, that dog will figure out in 10 minutes that you don't know how to enforce anything. Yeah. And so they're at, at the end of day one, they're going to give you 50% and they're looking to see right off the bat. What are your expectations of me now? I know what, I know what the expectations of my trainer is, but you had pretty low expectations of me before you sent me away. Yeah. <laughs> And so what we'll do is, in in being that most of these dogs are family dogs, our first lesson, once we get the dog to the point where they're working well for us, is then the first lesson is going to be basic obedience, unleash basic obedience. And what's going to happen, and we tell the people ahead of time, I'm going to show you, I want you to stand off in the distance. I don't want him to greet you. You know, I don't want him, you know, to pet him. I'm going to show you what your dog knows. Okay. And the reason standing off at a distance and not greeting him is, is I want them to see what you, their dog is capable of. Yeah, okay? yeah. All right. Now I say, all right, we're just going to, I'm going to bring you in here. You're going to grab the leash and we're just going to, you're just going to walk and heal. No petting. And I said, <laughs> I, I want you to just be cold. And, because you know you want to love on them right away but i i want them the the owner to know that just just start going and the dog is not going to know them from seeing them at a distance to start with okay. but as soon as they grab that leash and the dog smells them yeah it's it's excitement time and they're going to go you should be petting me you should be petting me i, I should be jumping on you and it's, keep walking keep walking and then and then make a correction because they've seen maybe some corrections, you know, while we're working with the dog, you know, maybe, you know, tug the leash for this or do that. And you'll just kind of see after a few minutes, the dog goes, oh boy, you know, everything that those trainers know, don't you?
0: <laughs>
1: and, and you just kind of see that come around. And then, you know, towards the end of that first obedience session that we do now, now you can do some praise and petting. Which, But if, if it's like, okay, owner's here, it's party time, all control goes out the window. And then you try to regroup and go, no, no, I really want you under control. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And, and so the biggest part of our job then is, is training the owners. They'll come in for that lesson. And then the second one would, will be a review of basic obedience. We go through retrieving skills and or, you know, depending on the breed whatever the the skills are out in the field. But if you don't have skills in the yard, yeah. forget it. You're not going to have it in the field. So uh, our big part of our job is, is training the owners. And then a big part of it is, is not just training, you know, dad, uh, you know, mom gets right involved with that basic obedience and control because she's going to be the caregiver, probably the majority of the time. Uh-huh. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, we train, you know, dogs for gals too, that are hunting. That's a big thing. My wife loves to hunt, you know, more, more gals are getting into it, but it's a family thing. The, the more people know in the family on just the basics of what the dog should do around the house. Now you have several sets of eyes. So when one of the family members tells the dog to do something and the dog goes, huh, everybody kind of goes, Hey, yeah. you know, remember what you're supposed to do. So it actually kinda, of, you know, keeps everybody in line, you know, as as well as the dog.
0: Yeah, your um your first scenario of uh, having the the owner not love up the dog the first drill when he gets mm-hmm. a hold of the leash reminded me of one of the master teachers I had teaching me how to be a band director. And I said, how did you, how, how do you get all these kids to do all this stuff so well? He says, I did not smile until Thanksgiving. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, uh, I, I hate to, you know, try to say people and dogs are the same way, but you know, we can all develop habits, good or bad.
0: Yeah, and but back then there were there were no e-collars, so we couldn't have used them on the band anyway. Well, you
1: and I are both old enough that there was a little bit of corporal punishment back <laughs> but, in the day.
0: Yeah, that's really, well, listening to a bad band was corporal punishment, believe me. <laughs> uh, let's talk about your gear. I mean, we talked about your gear, but let's talk about the mm-hmm. stuff you and your team use um, regularly. To train a dog, and it's everything from a check cord to an e-collar, but are there other things in there that we need to invest in that maybe we haven't thought about?
1: Well, I, I think good basics are, you know, it, this is really kind of easy from a standpoint of a uh, six-foot leash and then a check cord, 30 to 50-foot check cord. Uh, you know, if you have a puppy, let's say you get a seven, eight-week-old puppy you can't have a, that little puppy, you know, dragging a, you know, a full size dog's <laughs> check cord. And so I like to use like quarter inch, um, braided for their leash. And then their check cord is so they can just drag it is a quarter inch and it's 30 feet. It's so light. Yeah. They can barely feel it. And then yeah. they can graduate, you know, as they get to be, you know, three, four months, then we'll, they'll get to a little heavier unit. And then, um, you know, basic things, you know, for, you know, working in the field are going to be uh, obviously remote collar, but that's after we've done quite a bit of training because the collar can only be used to reinforce yeah, yeah. what's been taught for a long time with the leash. And then, uh, you know, you know, if you're doing retrievers, you know, equipment is is going to be based on, on what you hunt, you know, maybe neoprene vests or something. If you're an upland hunter, maybe, um, you know, you do an upland vest, it, equipment isn't there isn't a tremendous amount mm-hmm. other than the fact that maybe you want to get into bird releasers remote control bird releasers and do some of those things training dummies obviously i mean if you're working on retrieving you need training dummies some of those things uh, it all it, it all kind of adds up it depends on the breed that you're working with and then to be honest with you there's no substitute you know at a certain point in time for having some birds to train with um you know a lot of people you know maybe you're in suburbs are going to be hard pressed to be able to you know have any live birds but maybe you can have a frozen pigeon or two you know that you can you know keep in the freezer once in a while do some you know retrieving with that um you know and after leaving training we always suggest to people after you kind of get your feet underneath you you know go go visit a game farm where you can you can go in a real controlled environment your dog can be successful you're going to see some birds and and, uh, you know, start getting the game plan together with you and your dog. But, you know, it can get bigger than that. We kind of see first-time dog owners or hunting dog owners, they show up with a, you know, probably, a, you know, a, a small little, uh, you know, subcompact. Um, a year later, we see them show up with a <laughs> suburban. And then uh, instead of living in town, they bought acreage out in the country so that inexpensive little puppy turned into be, yeah, <laughs> you know a major investment but you know what they never regret it
0: no no there's there's just too many good things about it we could go on forever about that kind of thing um i i you know if you had to leave us with maybe one more bit of training advice that is universal that you it's to you it's you put your you've your face palm but to us, maybe it isn't so obvious. What are what are those kind of things that we, we need to remember? I'd say every day,
1: you know, every day that you are with your dog, make sure that you're always thinking about, I'm going to give a command once. Now, based on, you know, they should know the command by this time. I'm going to give the command once if I have to give it a second time. Whatever. You know, correction. The corrections don't have to be, it depends on the dog. Correction should come the second time. It's it's staying in great habits for yourself. The dog training will take, you know, you know take place and, and take care of itself. But you really got to have good disciplined habits on your own. If you can't reinforce something, don't say it.
0: There you go. Yeah. Um, sometimes maybe we ought to wear that e-collar.
1: well boy I know I would be used on me you know on a regular (laughs) basis so that's but uh you know it's it it's so rewarding this whole thing you know this and you know whether you have a professional trainer do it or you do it yourself the rewards are so great and the companionship part is is absolutely fantastic
0: that's Tom Dock and I'm Scott Linden this is the Upland Nation podcast Tom has two websites that you should memorize and visit regularly DawkinsOakRidgeKennels.com and make sure I got this one right, Tom. Uh, DeadFowltrainer.com
1: DeadFowltrainer.com Yep, for all of our training products. All the
0: gear is there. Uh, Learn more. Uh, Find out about any upcoming seminars. I'll uh, see you at Pheasant Fest, I'm sure, and in between now and then. Have a great hunting season. Thanks for being a part of the Upland Nation podcast.
1: Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me on. You bet.
0: Yeah, but we still got more to come, including uh, practicing what I preach uh, and how that might uh, help you on the road or getting ready to go on the road. It's all coming up here at the Upland Nation podcast, brought to you in part by trulockchokes.com. They have choke tubes for virtually any shooting activity. So if you're just coming off uh, turkey season and you wish you had shot a little bit better they got something for you sub gauges of all sorts new chokes in for some cz some Yildiz, some rizzini and tri-star shotguns so take a look over there you can look it up by your gun makers brand if you're wondering what those little notches on your factory chokes are for you can identify what constriction has what notches on it? They're your resource for all things choke tubes, truelockchokes.com. Stick around for more from them as they continue to add more and more choke tubes to their inventory. And speaking of inventory, MidwayUSA.com carries just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors. I'm getting a lot of my gear there these days. They've been very good to me, and I appreciate that. And in exchange for that, I'm putting an exclusive set of videos there on dog training and dog care. So visit MidwayUSA.com. Search for me. Hope you'll watch some of those. And then while you're there, shop some of their Dozens of thousands of products, most ship free. I'm getting a lot of my gear there from boots to sweatshirts to dog training equipment and uh, ammo. You want ammo? They've got it. It's all at MidwayUSA.com. Well, midsummer, and I am scouting for quail hunting. You know, out in the west, we've got the valley quail primarily out here, and uh, always keeping my eyes peeled, and in the course of doing that on a recent camping trip, there was no fishing involved. The rivers are running too high. Anyway, um, on a recent camping trip, I um, I knew about the one spot, and i have been there a few times. Thanks, Tom, and uh, thank you, Ben, for sending me over there, but... Driving farther afield, I found the other end of the same spot. I mean, like five miles farther away. Had no idea there was such a thing, let alone access at that end. And so, poking around in there, I found what could be the best quail hunt of the the upcoming season. It wasn't marked. But once I found the road, I found it on my online mapping app and realized it was part of the same public wildlife area. So the lesson in all of that, always be scouting, follow your hunches, always go to the far end of some of those walk-in and public access areas. No one else will. You might just have it all to yourself. Well, thank you, Tom Dockin, for joining us here at the Upland Nation podcast. Sure appreciate that and all of your wisdom and all the wisdom from those of you who commented at my questions on the Facebook pages uh, this week about the stuff we carry in our vest. Great stuff. Thank you so much. And thank you if you left a rating or a review at one of your podcast uh, distribution platforms. And thank you to our sponsors. Sage and Breaker, Pointer Shotguns, Joy Dog, Mid-Valley Clays, and True Lock Chokes. Most of all, though, thank you for listening. I'm Scott Linden. Until we meet in the field or at a training day, maybe I'll see you at the range.